This is O Ship, the show where experts and leaders look back at their biggest moments of failure just so you can avoid making them. And there is no one better to squeeze the naked truth out of our charismatic guests than your host, Chameleon Collective Founding Partner, Freddie Laker. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another week of O Ship. This week is an interesting week in particular because we're just following up the latest Art Basel Art Festival in Miami. One of the coolest weeks of the year. If you've never been to it, it's definitely something you should check out. And not only has it been you know, kind of a bastion of uh, traditional art, modern art, contemporary art, surrealism, you know, every type of art you can think of. In particular, the thing that's caught my eye is that the last couple of years in particular, you've really, really seen the rise of digital art led by a lot of different trends that we're going to get into today. One of the guys I happen to think has been really pushing uh, the boundaries of, of commercializing and bringing this art form to the masses in the last couple of years is a chap called Mark Billings. Now, I got to know Mark, uh, God, I guess it was back in about 2013 when I had my startup guide, and he was the co-founder of a really cool uh, tech startup, like a rental boat platform called Boat Setter. I got to know him as a kind of a, another entrepreneur's entrepreneur where he'd been the co-founder of a company called Atopia. He'd frankly been involved in quite a few other businesses before that. But it's the one that he did starting in 2015 that really, really caught my eye and, and something I fell in love with called Black Dove. And Black Dove is, uh, I think, as he describes it, an art gallery for the technology age. I think it's uh, that and a hell of a lot more. And you're going to learn about that today in our subject about discussing basically you know, what, what the future of digital art looks like, whether it's NFTs or even at-home digital art installations. We're going to cover all of that on today's O-Ship, and here we go. Mark, welcome to O-Ship. How are you? Good to see you again, Freddie. Yeah, it's been uh, too, too damn long in person, but, you know, uh, we, we can express our, our digital love today while express, talking about digital art. Uh, you know, I, I, I will never forget being with you, but it's good to see you digitally either way. <laughs> Thanks, man. So, to you again, really interesting time to chat with you, given that it was just Art Basel uh, last week. Before we get into that, though, I'd love to just make sure our, our audience knows a little bit more about you and specifically around your company, Black Dove. Because I'd like to just make sure that people understand why your opinion really matters in this space. So could you, could you tell us a little bit about what it is that you do and what it is that your company does? Well, thanks, Freddie. I appreciate the uh, question there. The answer is uh, one that uh, goes well beyond the business of delivering digital art to screens, frankly, because it's our position that art is the last uh, frontier of human intellectual property that is not freely democratized to humanity. And so for the first time in history, art in a digital form can be accessed by anyone. Historically, art was a physical object. One person could own it. Therefore, of course, there were the pricing considerations of high prices, but more importantly, this amazing work of art, unless perhaps in a museum, would be seen simply by one person. And if we compare that, say, to books or music, 
imagine if the most important books of all time were read only by one person at a time. Pretty sad. <laughs> so, and when you think about these kind of digital art forms that you're discussing, like what, what medium are, are, are you thinking? Is this you know, projected stuff, VR art, on, you know, on big screens, on mobile devices? What, what, is this, what does this look like uh, to you? I mean, you know, you would be a better man than I if you could predict where artists are going to create next. Okay. <laughs> it's frankly our job just to listen to what artists are looking to do. Uh, there are somewhere to the tune of about a billion televisions uh, out there in the world. And, you know, you mentioned the boat business. My historic business thesis has been very, very simple, which is just find, you know, parts of our life that are inefficient. Uh, in this case, we all have televisions at our home. Rather than you know, have them just off, we thought, hey, what if we could create a channel that you could enjoy art? and have it in your home. You already have a television. It's a really amazingly simple addition to anyone's home. But I'm going to pull up uh, uh, you know, basically an example of some visual art that basically is within someone's residence. I'd love for you to talk us through uh, some of um, you know, what, what we're seeing here. So this is a wonderful installation we did a couple of years ago now. It's the penthouse residence of the Four Seasons uh, here in wow. Miami Beach. It's an amazing installation. It's a seven-figure display integration itself. And then you're seeing, as we're going through now, the ability to change the art that's on that screen. Uh, the ownership purchased an original one-of-one uh, one from an artist whose name is Rafik Anadol, which is really the preeminent artist in the space. And we integrated this into his home so that at the touch of a button, very, very easy. They can change the decor, change the mood, and you know it works incredibly well. This is amazing. I, I just bought some of these new LG ga gallery TVs. Would this would this work on that? It's actually our absolutely favorite consumer television. You get the beautiful. Awesome. Okay, that's great. <laughs> awesome. We actually met with LG last Monday. Uh, they're actually incorporating Black Dove natively into that screen. Hopefully, by the end of next year. Wow. Okay. That, th that's even better. Hopefully I'll get that in a software update. If not, damn you, LG. <laughs> Upgrade city. Upgrade city. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like only if you buy the newest, 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 newest. Yeah, but it's available. Just to be um, clear, though, it's, it's available today on any television in the world. So you can go to your LG screen today. You just have to download the app. It's, a, it's, a, it's a, only a slightly improved process next year. Uh, any TV in the world. Awesome. Apple TV, Samsung, LG. Everything and there's free art. We give away one collection for free, uh, and then above that, you can uh, purchase art inside of the app for just a couple bucks a piece. And you got, and frankly, people need to support these artists. You know, there, there's got to be. A, I think you know, it's not only is this great for giving people access to this kind of art, but the reality is, you know, how are we going to grow this art form if we can't support the artists that are there? So I want to go back into this art form in a second, but I've got I've got one more question for you in this. How does a guy go from being, you know, the, the boat setter guy to all of a sudden being, you know, really deep in the digital art world? Were you, did you, was it just the business opportunity you saw or did you love the space or did you love, I know you love the space now. Did you love the space back then? You know, I, I'd love to understand the history of the company. Uh, I wish it were that complicated, Freddie, to be very honest. I, I just, I have this philosophy, which is that if it doesn't exist, build it. And I typically build things that benefit me. Right. So I went to go buy a boat 
And I was like, ah, man, owning a boat, like, it's just <laughs> what a, such a bad idea. It's just such a bad idea, you know? <laughs> and uh, the other thing is I've owned boats in the past. And when you own a boat, you know, there's this thing called two-foot-itis, which is like your boat's never the right boat for you. Like you always wanted it a little bit too big. You wanted a different boat. You wanted to go fishing. You wanted to go. So you never have the right boat. So I said, you know, rather than buying one boat, what if we created a platform that you could have any boat in the world immediately on demand? Uh, so purely out of self-need, right? Purely out of self-need. Similarly, in, in the digital art space, I fell in love with the art form because as you and I have been collectively in the technology space, uh, for most of our careers, one way or the other, uh, when I saw digital art, it was a representation of the tools that were in my everyday life. Things like Adobe Suite products, right? Graphics design things, software code, algorithms. And to see artists put these tools to work in a way in which it spoke to me at the level that it did. For me, I just had to have more of it, and, and the story as it goes and me off. But I went to go buy my first work of art, and they told me it was you know a certain amount of money. And I said, "Hey, that's a, that's a lot of money." And I said, "But like, what what do I do when I when I'm not when I want when I want to have that one on my screen anymore?" And they looked at me like I was a little bit nuts. And I said, uh, "No, I should be able to like click a button and just have more art available to me." And of course, the traditional art industry couldn't figure this out on any level. And so it took, I wish they had figured it out. I probably would have still been in the boat business, to be honest, but I decided to, you know, <laughs> black dove in the way. Sometimes we, you know, this show, we talk about our kind of oh ship moments. Uh, I know that digital art is certainly having a, a real moment right now, but over the last six years, it's been about six years you've been doing this. Did you ever have a moment where you really felt you were too, too early or a little bit of a feeling of having a little bit of an oh ship moment, if you will? <laughs> I mean, most of the time, to be honest. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> You're like, until when, so when, when did you feel like the sea change started happening? As the, as the NFT thing started to emerge, or was it something else that triggered it? Yeah, you know, the NFT movement really was the inflection point for the industry. The opportunity, not unsurprisingly, for people to make money trading digital art. You know, I can't say it's warm, uh, warming my heart up very much that that's the reason why the industry is catching fire. But the truth is, as you mentioned, I don't really care why the attention is being shown <laughs> on, on this, right? It's certainly, it's certainly not bad publicity, you know? I mean, people, but people, I think what it did was it made the conversation about, there was a now meaningful conversation about digital art and people debating whether this is valuable, but maybe the conversation started around that, but if nothing else, they had them talking about digital art, right? And I think a lot of people never said, hey, why is this this digital art piece worth $40,000? And so people, and then people people going, man, that is in fairness, pretty damn cool. Maybe where do I get more of that? So very, really, very, really great luck. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's really where this token concept really created a very, I mean, an unbelievably small, right? You and I talk about, you know, historically when we get together and, and talk about broader business concepts, you know, big markets get unlocked for unpredicted ideas, unpredicted reasons, right? And in this case, it was simply the humanistic requirement of ownership. That was it. We're like collector beings, like we have to own stuff, right? And so the concept of seeing the art 
was good, but we wanted to be able to own it and to hold it and say, I own this. It's, it's fascinating to me. I am not an ownership person, actually. I like yeah. more experiences, but you know, the world, uh, the world has spoken. Yeah, it's, I never really thought about that before, that the, the boat setter thing really was about co-ownership. And it doesn't really matter what the, the object of desire was. But, you know, so much of your thinking from that, I'm sure there were some crazy learnings that you were able to reapply over into this. Very, very cool. So let's, let's jump to Art Basel. How many days did you go out and interact with people? What did you see? What, what did you learn? I'd love, to, I'd love to hear what your read was from this year. Yeah, it was, it was fascinating because I, I think more than anything else, the in real life experience, as we would say, of experiencing the art form. Uh, helped answer questions around this phenomena of NFTs, right? People would say, is that an NFT? And we'd say, that's an NFT. And our installations, we made sure to bring these beautiful, beautiful installations, you know, 86-inch display in portrait orientation with big, ornate frames. It's really important to hide the technology, typically, not always, but we typically try to hide the technology and allow the art to be seen. So we do all these things. Uh, I love this uh, book, uh, Presuasion, a book I read not too long ago, which I loved, was the concept of making sure you warm your audience up. And, and by putting a beautiful frame and sticking it into an art gallery, your clients were expecting to see art. And it, the response was overwhelming how excited people are, overwhelming. So funny about that. I love that, that the concept, just the, you, when you feed them, hey, there's a frame, the frame has trained us to go, amazing frame means amazing, amazing insides. Uh, and uh, and you, you just, it's like a, a you know, mental cue that's built into us, you know, frankly, from very, really young age. Uh, I've actually been debating that and getting a hold of these is it myself. It, are people make it any easier to get these, like, uh, is a kind of obscure question, but like if I wanted to put a frame around a smart TV, is anyone making it easier to get that? There's maybe a whole nother business right there. Just, <laughs> just saying. Yeah. It's surprisingly ineffective and, and it's surprisingly expensive right now to do it. You would sure. think it would be like an iPhone case. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, it's not yet, which is very, very interesting. But I would suspect it will be in the next couple of years. Yeah, maybe, maybe you need a framing partner. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. It's, cool. you know, it's an old world business. I'm hoping somebody solves it. What's the best thing you saw last week at Art Basel? Not to put you on the spot. Best thing I saw last week at Art Basel. Well, far and away... The most important experience for, for us last week is that we brought in uh, a number of our artists to participate in the experiences that we offered. We supported approximately 11 events and activations over the week. And allowing the artists to be able to touch and communicate, uh, I think it was really, really important because so often the artists – because of COVID, especially, and this is when the boom has happened, have not felt the heartwarming appreciation of other people seeing their work. And, you know, you could see their entire demeanor change from being perhaps even a little closed and protective to just 
opening up and sharing with people like this is why I create. So, you know, some people say they make art for themselves, but I think most artists make the art for other people. And if they haven't got that feedback loop, it can hurt their art, I believe. And so I, I love that this sentiment you've got that they're out there reconnecting and, and you got to witness some of that. That's awesome. It's fascinating. I'll speak to a few different artists. I'll speak to a few different artists that we're speaking to. You know, we're representing right now artist named uh, Kenny Wayne Alexander. Uh, I didn't do such a good job of, of queuing that up for you right now. Let me see. I'll get that in just a second. An artist named Mark Malta. And the best way to understand the art form, honestly, is not to make this a sales pitch, but I want people to experience the art, Right. So, you know, definitely, Freddie, you know, encourage people to just download the app on the TV. Like, it's amazing that you get to experience these works. Kenny Wayne Alexander is out of Memphis. He does these digital collages. And it was the first time he and I spent time together. We spent a lot of time together. The layers of intellectualism that he has built into these works uh, completely, not changed, but uh, evolves my understanding of where his practice is moving and the level of positivity that he brings is my goodness just you, you can't help but hug the guy every time you see him let's we're going to take a look at some more digital art in a second i'd like to take a question from the audience and for those of you that are listening or watching live if you've got a great uh, comment or question that you want to ask us, go ahead and ask it in the chat and we'll do our best to uh, chat about it here on the show. Uh, so one of the audience members has asked a question, said, what factors determine the value of NFT art, minting elements like colors, components, or artist brand popularity? Uh, any opinion on that, Mark? Well, you know, have an opinion, but just you know, experience that plays into how we uh, develop and select our artists. It has absolutely nothing to do with the concept of minting elements. And I understand where Masa's comment is coming from because there's a movement that's called generative art uh, where we've seen a huge amount of popularity in projects starting off with the crypto punks and bored apes and then you know a sequence of follow-on projects beyond that. Those are a slightly different concept than we promote. We're not against it. We're just not involved in that in particular. We are, uh, we like to say we're selling two minutes of happiness, right? We're hoping to connect you with another human being in a way that offers a two minute break from your day, a small amount of insight, an experience that moves you through your day more seamlessly. The technical components that go towards value uh, are complexity, messaging, and market. At the end of the day, the market drives demand for sure. And typically that market is driven by quality of content. Sometimes the content is not necessarily the most technically uh, sophisticated, but Sometimes it is. That work I showed you, which is Rafiq Anadol, what makes his work, we're selling another work for $300,000 right now, what makes that work more sophisticated, you know, the most important work to own right now uh, is that he is by far uh, the most sophisticated algorithmic artist in the world. 
by far. Over time, he will be understood by the masses, and he is the masterpiece of the of the medium. You know, I know we've got another video uh, that you suggested I, I queue up. Is any of his work in there? If not, can you talk about some of the work in that second video that I'll that I'll queue up? Yeah, I, I tossed that second video just to make sure that everybody understood that while the aspirational product is the large one, this is an every person object. You can buy, uh, it, it's very inexpensive, reasonably speaking. You spend, it's a couple thousand dollars, uh, up to a little bit more, but this is how people are adapting and integrating digital art into their home these days. You're hanging a screen. It's not a television. It's a commercial display uh, that's manufactured by some of the major manufacturers. It is designed to play art. Every time you turn it on, it automatically boots into art. It's got a local hard drive on it so that the art is storing locally. And then the screen, the canvas, as we call it, is available to be managed by remote control from your phone. You build playlists, you collect art, and it just is constantly rotating all the time with new works. Uh, and of course, over time, that will be adaptive and you can play the works you love the most when you're entertaining to showcase or select from some of our curators who are building these amazing collections right now. That is beyond cool. Uh, so out of interest, so the, the 98, I assume, is the, the mothership. What, what is, what's the kind of range on these things from the, from the smallest one to the, to the largest one approximately? Yeah, so you know, it starts off at around two thousand dollars. I think that's for a fifty-five inch, which is on honestly, it's like a great size in most yeah, homes. Yeah. Yeah. Screen, you hang it in portrait. You know, it's you know, you know it's like four. It's like over four feet tall. It's like a it's a nice yeah. size screen. Yeah, big time. I mean, a ninety-eight is like it's like you know, monster, monster's big, big taller than a man, isn't it? Seven foot tall. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Seven foot so it's bigger. Crazy. It's bigger than we are. It's the size of an NBA yeah, yeah. center. It's massive scale. You know, if you've got like twelve foot ceilings, something like that. But still, by comparison, this is the funny thing, right? If you were to go and get a work of art from a gallery that's seven foot and, and that large, so this screen is fifteen thousand dollars, a good amount of money. It is a good amount of money. But like, if you're if you're collecting art. Like it's not, it's, it's not even It'd close be next to being, next level. I mean, yeah, if you, especially if you spent yeah. some money on some digital art, what better way? So probably digital art is the only art form in the world that you can actually make it bigger and resize it on the demand. So if you can get a, you know, that kind of experience, imagine what a canvas, you know, from a high end artist could be for something that size. So really cool. No, this is the point. This is the point. Actually to that point, Freddie, I would argue today, and, and I have the numbers to prove it, that, this is the most discounted form of art in the market right now because it's so early on. I mean, we sold works for 30,000 three years ago, and those are now selling for 300,000 now. Insane. And, and, and uh, again, these things can hit some pretty massive scale. Uh, you know, I know you've even talked about, you know, showing how these could be like, you know, wall size and so on, doing generative art. Yeah, is that is this kind of stuff? You know, these are these all artists we can find on Black Dove. Every single one of them. We focus our energies on putting together the absolute best installations in the market, and we do that for large scale commercial, large, you know, very premium luxury residential clients. But the platform, because it's digital, 
allows just anybody to get it. As I said, it's sort of in the beginning. What I think is amazing about this medium is that anybody in the world can get original artwork on demand. The impact is, it, it, honestly, the impact is amazing. The artists are, this work here that you're showing there, Freddie, the last one that you did. Okay. You back up. So, well, there's a couple of different sequences. This is an installation that uh, we just finished up at McDermott, Will Emery in New York City. By the way, that's like 40 feet long. It's this massive installation up in New York City. This artist is Stan Adard. His work is uh, for meditation. This is a Tech 3. He just has these, these three-dimensional landscapes that are so peaceful. Uh, they're just, you know, for me, he, he's like a, he's a sculpturist working within the digital realm. Because yeah, I think he's based out of Portland. Amazing work. Uh, this is Maggie. How would you, how would you do these large-scale ones? Is this like you, you do like a projector or something? There's a new technology that came out a few years ago that is the absolute fastest growing tech. It's called LED, not OLED, LED. It's just, yeah. you know, LED lights, and they're jammed really, really close together. And based on the ability for our eyes to see them, you, you have close enough pixel densities that it looks like a 4K TV is just farther away. Artist Jazer Giles. Jazer is an amazing uh, amazing audio, uh, the terminology is, uh, he's, a, he's a musician. He's an amazing musician. Yeah. He teaches music up in Connecticut, and he creates works that go along with his music. Uh, this is Marco Fontaine. This work is, oh, my God. It, it, we put this up every once in a while, and people don't even know that it's a screen. They ask us, like, oh, is that a new material that you're showing? Wow. Yeah, it's fascinating. Fascinating. We actually sold this to an Asian family who wanted to have gold, you know, from a prosperity concept. Yeah. Um, oh, cool. Yeah. Cesar, who's working and he builds these incredibly, incredibly peaceful, fluid movement movements. For the larger walls, we tend to go with very slow moving works because it's a lot for the eye to handle. Uh, these are moving image nature works from an artist whose name is Frank Lefebvre. And he is uh, just a master. Uh, he spent five years out in the field going and taking uh, taking video of, uh, of nature scenes and nobody like Ansel Adams type stuff. This is the artist Megan Chan. Megan also, I mean, she blows me away. Megan is a concert uh, violinist. She's based out of Toronto. Her works are generative, so those butterflies react to when she's playing violin. That, that's amazing. So, so I want to ask you some crazy. Mark, I mean, this work is is so cool, um, and, and I'm triply excited now to get a hold of these these new TVs so I can start playing these in, in the house. My question is, uh, going back to the entrepreneurial side of this for a second. You know, you, you've been on a, a really, really fascinating journey with Black Dove, you know, over the last six years. I've obviously been chatting with you along this whole journey just as a fellow entrepreneur and, and, and a friend. I, you know, and I know it's been a, a bit of a wild ride for you. Uh, if you had to say, uh, you know, to future digital art entrepreneurs, maybe who are not the artists, but the people that are trying to build things in this ecosystem, if you had to give those people one one bit of advice if they were going to start today or one or two bits of advice like is there anything that kind of pops to mind that would be some sage-like wisdom you could pass on 
I have never historically been a natural salesperson. I have learned that over the last few years. I would say that that you have to be good at it. You mean you have to be, you have Mm. to put yourself in those uncomfortable situations in order to get over whatever I would call myself historically an introvert. And so the concept of being out and absorbing the energy and, you know, outwardly conveying. So I would tell you that I uh, am thankful that I met the artists in person because when I met the artists, that was as much as any other reason where I said, man, like I have to do this for them. This art needs to be seen. So I am now on mission to tell their stories. And that is, I think, the most important piece for anybody who is getting involved is, and and Freddie, you've always been there, and I've always come to you for the sage wisdom uh, that you can provide because that narrative, that story narrative that you help create is, you know, that, that really is what helped me get out of, you know, my own personal a development game. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. I don't know if it was sage wisdom, but it was definitely some form of wisdom. <laughs> it's, uh, uh, but that's it's great. And I think that is a great lesson there to other entrepreneurs out there that you can have a great product and you can go out there and be super passionate about these things. But people, especially if you've got a startup, that I mean, people want to feel that you know that passion from you. And, and that's part of like what they, you know, they talk about infectious enthusiasm, but I think being able to go out there and sell your vision and let other people see, you know, your feelings and, and understand what you're trying to do. Like, you know, I've, I've seen great companies with great ideas fail because someone couldn't go out there and, and express themselves. So I think that's really cool that you've uh, made, made that transition. I, I say the following with a, with a, with a, obviously a big smile on my face, but you know, the art world is kind of notorious for having, you know, some of the best eccentrics in the world. Uh, so would you, as an introvert, is that, is it, did you find it easier to go kind of make, you know, shift gears in that world or is it even harder because there's so many, uh, special personalities in the art world? I'm sure you know that all of us have that special spark inside of us. It's a communication, right? I find the art world to be one of the freest places to operate without judgment. Well said because the rewards of individuality are real. People are not looking on any level for mediocrity. They are looking to push the edge of what's possible. And that is what defines this space. And frankly, I think that's one of the reasons why it's been such a good fit for me, because I also feel the same way. I've always been trying to push myself and those around me into whatever it is that's next. Let's not get stuck in the status quo. Let's live our life to the fullest. Let's surround ourselves with amazing people. Let's surround ourselves with amazing art. Let's live that life. I want everyone to be able to wake up in the morning, have that amazing new work of art on their screen, get excited, wake up, spread that enthusiasm to the next person down the line that they meet and, you know, butterfly effect, you know, one step at a time, just if we touch a billion people around the world, having this few minutes of amazing art, you know, I'll feel good. 
That's awesome. You know, for, for if some people need a view in their life or they need some music to calm them down, but, you know, art can have just as, uh, you know, impact, uh, as much of an impact. And I think one of the coolest things about digital art and actually the backed up service in general is this idea that you, it, you I think you described it earlier as these two minute doses of happiness, which I thought was really cool. So it's, it's fresh stimuli for you all the time as you're trying to find something to, uh, you know, maybe whether it's cheer you up, inspire you, make you feel more creative. I mean, or make you want to fall in love, whatever it may be, uh, you know, or, or like, you know, great music or other great, you know, uh, great forms of communication can have that, have that effect. So uh, let's change gears a little bit. And I'd love to talk uh, a little bit about the uh, Miami uh, tech scene. So you, you've been in the Miami space for a while now, very long while. And uh, you know, there's been so much buzz uh, about uh, you know the Miami tech scene emerging, the Miami investor scene. Uh, you know, the last year in particular, mainly due to um, you know cultural shifts, uh, due to the way we were doing, you know, the way we're all changing, working. What's your read on it? You're, what are you seeing down in uh, seeing down there as you, but from the investment standpoint, investors, the tech community, like what, what's your read on what's happening? You know, when we were involved, I know you were, you were around with me during the Incubate Miami days. Right, we had a simple thesis during uh, during those early days tech scene, which, which was that not all that different from the NFT market. Which is, if we could show people that they could make money investing in tech companies, then more people would come to the table, right? And we could take some money from the real estate investment, you know, allocation, and put it into tech. Tech has proven they just didn't have access. So that was two thousand and eight, two thousand and nine. You know, interestingly, I had originally started by going out to Boulder and talking to Dave Cohen and, and Brad Feld out of Techstars. And, uh, you know, unwaveringly, Brad Feld said to me, 13 years, Mark, 13 years. I was like, come on, Brad. Like, that's a long time, man. Like, I don't have time. I don't have 13 years to wait. He goes over and over again, man, 13 years. And lo and behold, 13 years on the dot. Market exploded. <laughs> It's just a really interesting thing. I wonder how he called it so accurately. I can't figure out what I'm doing tomorrow. I, I don't know how you know this guy's calling it out 13 years. Brad's amazing. Brad's amazing. When you meet, yeah, I know Brad is well from the record, but hats off to him if he watches this later. That's crazy. Brad's got a, Brad's got a, Brad has a ball. The guy's amazing. Yeah. It's just incredibly, incredibly insightful. Um, but it's amazing down here right now. Uh, the market is getting nurtured. I think the biggest, you know, I, I don't think local tech entrepreneurs are the biggest that are winning, to be honest, are the biggest winners here. I think the city is the biggest winner because mm-hmm. there's just a lot of money coming into town and that is creating, you know, an economy down Everything, here. right? Restaurants, housing, I mean, it's good, good, good across the board. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's a net positive all around, all, you know, all around town. And then, you know, our ability to, you know, meet with potential investors is, is, is definitely, well, it sort of is real during COVID. Even if they're around town, we're still doing remote meetings. But mm-hmm. I've met some incredible people. I think it's interesting to meet some of the superstars of the tech universe. I was never one to sort of chase anything. So I didn't spend a lot of time in the Valley. But, you know, I know who some of these people are. Right. You know, it's cool that Founders Fund is, is here in Miami. You know, everybody uh, associated with that group is amazing. Right. 
We recently did an amazing installation at the SoftBank offices. I have been blown away by the level of sophistication and professionalism that that team has. There is professional early stage capital in this market now, which simply was not the case. It's not free money. Make no mistake, right? It's not free money. It is just incredibly smart capital. And they're experienced enough to know that a successful tech company has an opportunity to create big value. And so there is risk capital now available. And, you know, connecting with these individuals, getting the insights and the experience is incredibly helpful for all of us. One of the things that we've also seen obviously happening in South Florida is uh, where blockchain has obviously been popular in many, many cities across the U.S. There does seem to be a particularly strong, uh, you know, blockchain crypto community in South Florida right now. Uh, with the rise of uh, NFTs and, and that becoming such a, a big uh, conversation, you know, is, is mine uniquely positioned to kind of sit at the forefront of the digital art scene right now? And, and if so or not, you know, I'd love to know what other cities you think are kind of the, the epicenters for this, for this movement right now. My take on that is that Miami is probably the freest city in the country. Free thinkers are attracted here. We are not big on rules down here. You can be whoever you want to be, good or bad. And new ideas can prosper because you have people from around the world. I often refer to Miami as the Istanbul of the modern era. It's a place where people from all over the globe are seeking out other people to share ideas and then we'll bring those ideas globally. And so definitely it's something that can prosper. I love that. So I'm going to, you know, this has been a great show, by the way, it's super interesting to to dig into this space with you. I, I, you know, I consider you one of the kind of authorities in in, of this uh, kind of new wave of, uh, of distributing specifically digital art. So I'd like to wrap up the show by just saying, if there's anything that you can share uh, as a, you know, I'm call, I, I call them oh ship stories. I don't want to put you on the spot here too much, but has there ever been an instance that you can talk about on the air where, where you know, something went a little awry for you over the last uh, you know, six years or so in the digital art space or, or Black Dove, I mean, and and uh, that you're like, that was that was it kind of went off the rails there, but I learned a lot from that experience or or it shaped the business in some way. I love, I love hearing about, uh, and you've had some you know, great successes, but I, I, I always intrigued by people's near misses. I'm not sure if there's anything you can uh, share there. I think, you know, one of the great experiences that I had was, and that I won't do again, is you, you have to be really careful as an early stage company, getting a lure to work on a big company, right? You think, oh, I'm going to get a breakaway. I'm going to, pair up with some big brand. And I had been warned about it in the past. Be careful. You're four people and they're going to absorb you and destroy you. And that happened, even in spite of all the warnings. <laughs> I, I gave a good pitch to Samsung. Yeah, It was so good that they said, man, this is amazing. Let's go do this. And uh, I completely screwed the pooch on this one. I mean, it was a disaster because you know, we built this amazing screen, but we didn't have the team in place to, to market the screen. 
And that project fell so fast without marketing support that uh, we had just like wasted six months of our life in going out on that on that edge. The good news about that experience, and it's always good to have sort of a you know give and take, is that that project resulted in what's now the fastest growing product in Samsung's history, the Samsung Frame. And that product is absolutely part of the reason that digital art is prospering right now because there's now a screen from a major manufacturer that looks cool on the world. Yeah, what's, what's the old, so what's the, the, the expression, like ri- rising tides, you know, uh, rise old boats or something to that effect, but it's, you know, kind of that, that kind of thinking is that their, their success basically has, has a direct impact on the overall success of the entire space. This is the key. This is the key. And, and frankly, I, I, it's a great product. Uh, one you back actually from LG said it's the better product. But the, the frame is a pretty great product. Great product. And, you know, we're lucky to have opportunities to work with both of them. And, uh, you know, it's a magical moment. I mean, obviously, right, you're like the experience that you're, I can't wait to hear back from you after you've got art. We'll do some curation for you. Make sure you've got what you're looking for. It's definitely something that, is not even like a little bit better. It's not even 10 times better. It's, it is literally informational in our lives. You will see that the concept of new art in your life is something you didn't expect. It's, it's the equivalent of being able to eat at restaurants. Like, of course, we take that for granted, right? If I served you one form of food every night, you'd be like, come on, enough already. Well said. One last final question for you before I kind of sign out for us today. If people want to learn more about you or learn about Black Dove, what should they be looking for? Any links or anything like that you'd like us to share? I personally communicate out of our Twitter account, which I'm warming up to. That introvert is starting to come out. I'm warming up. Twitter versus uh, it's a whole, it's like a world on itself. Uh, But that's where I speak. Uh, so I would definitely have, uh, you know, if you're interested in what I'm saying, then tw- uh, we're, we're, we're at Black Dove Art on both Twitter and Instagram. Those are our two primary mediums. On Instagram, we share the new artwork that's coming out for sale on the platform, uh, new releases, new events. And on Twitter is usually when I am, you know, I don't know, picking fights. Isn't that what you're supposed to do on Twitter? Nice. <laughs> Great. We know where to tune in then. That's awesome. Well, uh, Mark, again, thank, thanks for your time and, and, and today. I, I know it's a, I'm sure you're exhausted after doing a bit of Art Basel last week, but I just want to thank everyone that, that tuned in. Uh, thank you for a very engaged audience. So we're very appreciative for all the comments and questions we see coming in, whether you're watching us on Facebook or on YouTube or on LinkedIn, any one of the platforms that we now stream on or you're listening to us uh, via the audio show that we're now streaming on every uh, major podcast platform uh, under the O'Ship Show. So thanks again for tuning in. The best thing you can do to support the show uh, every single week is give us a like, share us on your social feed, subscribe if you haven't subscribed already. All of these things uh, you know, help us to keep this show every single week and continue to bring on great guests and if you want to keep it simple, you can always go to oshipshow.com and see all the different places you can link to us. With that, I thank you for your time. Mark, thanks again uh, for showing up and joining us today. Uh, and congrats again on all your success. Really, really, really great stuff. I appreciate it. Thank you, Captain. <laughs> Take care. Bye. No, good nautical reference. Perfect way to end Oship. Bye, everyone. 
The O Ship Show is brought to you by Chameleon Collective, where we lead, scale, and adapt to build and grow great companies. You can learn more at chameleoncollective.com. Freddie will see you next time when we will once again be raising the sails for the O Ship Show.